good morning again, Novation family. We're going to dig into um, a parable that, that Jesus taught in the Gospel of Luke about humility. Humility is a funny thing, right? How do you know if you're humble? If you say you're humble, you're no longer humble anymore. And I think the gauge for humility is to look at the life of Jesus. Jesus equals humility. Philippians 2 is a great passage about Jesus humbling himself, God becoming one of us. He humbled himself. And for us to understand what does that mean to relate to God in humility and relate to one another in humility. We've been in this series since the new year in the Gospel of Luke where we're looking at the life of Jesus. What did he do? What did he teach? And ultimately, the crescendo of his death on the cross where he defeated the works of the devil, he nailed sin to the cross, and he defeated death so that we don't have to fear death anymore. Kingdom come. Jesus is the, the embodiment of the kingdom of God came to this earth for us, to show us what God was like, to show us what the Father is like, and what does it really mean to be in right relationship with him. So in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, uh, Jesus tells a parable, and it says this, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." Quite the scene. You know, can you imagine you're in a prayer meeting at church and you hear somebody individually praying to God and thanking God that they're not like you? <laughs> that, that's, that's what the power that Jesus is wanting us to understand of the, the pride of the Pharisee and the humility of the tax collector. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, how do we know that Jesus isn't talking to me? How do we know Jesus isn't talking to you? Jeff Foxworthy made his, you know, comedy based upon that line, you might be a redneck if. A couple of his were, you know, you might be a redneck if you cut the grass and you find the car. He said, you might be a redneck if the Salvation Army won't even take your mattress. You might be a redneck if um, 
Your wife has to ask you to move the transmission out of the bathtub so that she can take a bath. How do we know if we're a Pharisee or not? How do we know if we have that Pharisee heart? I think one of the, the best ways we can understand this is how do we see other people? How do we see other people's brokenness? If, if we know someone who has a habit or an addiction that they can't seem to break, do I judge them? Do I have compassion for them? If you see somebody that has a marriage that's in difficulty, do we judge them or do we have compassion for them? When we see people who are just broken, how do we, how do we see them? Because the Pharisees, it's, Jesus said that they were confident in their own righteousness, their own behavior, and they thought that's what made them right with God, and they scorned everybody else. So what does, what does Jesus know about all of us? I think this is such an important um, question to ask. What, does Je- what Jesus knows about all of us? The first thing is Jesus knows that all of us are looking for ways to find a sense of approval and self-worth. We're all looking for this sense of approval. Am I okay? We want to feel okay about ourselves and have a sense of self-worth. From the time we come into this world, little, little ones come into this world and it's, Daddy, look at me. Mommy, look at me. Look what I can do. And you get that approval from, from mom or mom and dad. And then when we become teenagers, it's the sense of approval and self-worth from what do my friends think about me? Am I cool or not? Do I fit in or not? And then when we become adults, we start finding our approval in our jobs or our career or stuff. And all of these things are, are empty ways of, of finding self-worth and approval. We were born and created by God with two crucial needs. I've brought this up several times, but I think it's so important for us to remember that God created us first with a, with a, a crucial, critical need of security. And security is the sense that we have in ourselves that we are unconditionally loved without needing to earn it. Like that we are unconditionally loved. And that we're also created with this need of significance, to know that our life counts, that our life matters, that we can have impact on other people's lives for, for good. Now, God created us with those needs and that in reality, only he can meet your ultimate need of security because only he loves perfectly and unconditionally. Our goal is to learn how to love like God is, but our love is always going to, to be marred with a little bit of self in this life. And then the sense of significance that, man, you were created in love by your God. You're significant because he created you, redeemed you, and redeemed you and sustains you. Finding that in him is very, very important. The second thing Jesus knows about all of us is that all of us are looking for something to remove our guilt and shame. Things in in our past that that haunt us, that we're not proud of, things even, maybe even in the present, that we we tend to try to to be good 
to feel better. We try harder. We make statements like, I'll never do that again. When we say, I'll never do that again, it tends to make us feel a little bit better in the moment, but it it doesn't last because then the next time we fail, more shame is heaped on us. And then Jesus knows that all of us are looking for a sense of rightness or righteousness in our lives. Righteousness is two things. Righteousness is being right with God vertically and then, and then right living. How do, how do we live out who we are in Jesus? We're looking for that. Are we finding it in the right place? That's what Jesus' emphasis is in this parable. Jesus wants us to find this sense of righteousness through learning how to live from the inside out rather than from the outside in. What do I mean by that? Well, we're, we're pre-programmed to live outside in. Outside in is, is an approach to feeling morally accepted and approved. It's outside in is about keeping rules or breaking rules. It's all outward stuff. Outside in living, sin is something that, that I do rather than the condition of my heart. And then when we, we, we live this way to feel good on the inside, and then we compare ourselves with others, and when we begin to compare ourselves with others, we become judgmental, and we look down upon others. And we become like the Pharisee who says, man, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector. Flip that around. Inside-out living is different. This approach um, looks inward, looks inward as a, as a way of my, I look at my own faults first before I try to point out other people's faults in others. Inside-out living we compare ourselves to Jesus, not to any other person. We compare to him first. And I think it's important that living inside out, and we're going to talk about this more, is, man, Jesus is the foundation. And that he, living inside of us, we're living on his promises and the truth of who he says we are, and that we learn how to live outwardly in that position, not trying to get Jesus in us by our behavior, but realizing he's already in us through the Holy Spirit. Now, from that foundation, we live outwardly. So let's, let's work our way through this story a little bit and, and talk about inside out versus outside in living. There's two men, two men. The first is a Pharisee, and the word Pharisee literally means separate ones. They were separatists focused on keeping commands. These were the religious elites of the day. And they lived very outside in. When you look at the the law in the Old Testament, 600 and something commands and laws, uh, a great majority of them were part of the ceremonial laws that, that, that marked the Jewish Hebrew people outwardly. What kind of food did you eat? What kind of uh, clothes did you wear? And all this, how you wore your hair even. All of that was the ceremonial outward things, the washing of the hands and, and everything. 
the, there were parts of the law also, though, that were very inward and deep spiritually in the sense of the moral law. And, and Jesus summarized all of these laws in, when he said that the, the law could be summarized in love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That that's how you, we fulfill the law. The commands of God are good. The commands of God always have a purpose and a reason behind them that's expressing love for God and expressing love for our neighbor. But the laws of God were never intended to be a ladder that as I obey the rules, I get closer and closer and closer to God. It was never intended to be us to get to God. It was a way of living that both set apart the, the Hebrew people, but also was marked with love for my neighbor. And so the Pharisee, they always took the, the outside-in you know, approach. They, they, they took the laws and the rules to a great extreme. Jesus called them out one time, and in, in, I think it's in the Gospel of Mark, where the Pharisees see Jesus and his disciples eating, and they hadn't washed their hands. And they actually say, Jesus, why do you and your disciples not wash your hands? And Jesus said, listen, it's not what goes into someone's body that corrupts them. It's that which proceeds from the heart, that which proceeds from the soul. Um, over 20 years ago, it was either the first or second time I had, had gone to Israel. And have I told you that I've been to Israel lately? I actually have. Two years ago, but 20-something years ago, we were there. And I re remember staying with a, a family, and they were, they were Jewish by their nationality more than religiously speaking. And they were, they were nominal in that area. They, didn't, they believed in God, but they just didn't practice all the orthodox stuff of, the, of their faith. And they told me that the wife, her sister married a man that was orthodox and that they would never be invited to their house for dinner, to her sister's house, um, because they didn't have two kitchens. Now, in the orthodox belief, if you're going to be truly kosher, you have to have one kitchen for your meat and another kitchen for your dairy because of a verse found in, in, in the law that says, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. So they take that to the extreme and say, no pepperoni pizza, no cheeseburgers. And if you really want to be kosher and follow that, that law and command, have two kitchens. So this lady, was never, would, would, they would never come to her house for dinner because she didn't have two kitchens. And that sounds a little bit crazy, right? I mean, it's like, that sounds very extreme. I also remember being at the airport in Tel Aviv waiting for someone to fly in that was meeting our group, and I was sitting there waiting, watching all the people walk in that were coming off the planes, and there was this guy in the orthodox outfit and in the, 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 the black suit and everything, and there was a sign just above the doorway that he walked through that said, no smoking. You know, a big circle with a, a cigarette smoking, no smoking. And as soon as he came on the other side, he lights up a cigarette, 
And then I see his wife carrying the luggage. <laughs> so he's got his wife carrying the luggage, and he lights up a cigarette when he's not supposed to. But hey, I'm not going to have, you know, meat and dairy in the same kitchen. So the, you can t- the Pharisees took this idea and, and took it to extremes. And before, you know, we judge this guy too much, though, we got to look at our own lives to ever think that we're spiritually elite, morally, theologically, racially, socially. And that when we, when we live in that realm, we're living from the outside in rather than from the inside out. The other person in this story is the tax collector. Tax collectors were Jews who collected taxes from, from the Jews on behalf of the Romans and extorted more than required in order to get rich. They were hated by their, by their countrymen, by their fellow Hebrews, because not only were they collecting taxes for the Romans who were holding them under tyranny, they were also taking more, so that, and they were getting rich off their own people. They, they were rich, but they were bankrupt on the inside. We see two, two kinds of people in this story. First of all, proud proud people. The Pharisee was proud. The type of pride that Jesus is exposing here. Pride always comes when we compare ourselves to others. Pride gives us an inaccurate view of ourselves. It's a distorted view of ourselves. He was proud from the outside in. He felt good because he kept the rules. He, he kept the law. But before we judge him again, um, remember, the proud are also people who refuse to admit they're helpless. We're proud when we don't ask for help, obviously from God and then, and then from others. We don't want to appear weak. So trying to be good enough or right with God is what it means to be proud. Try to be right with God without Jesus. The second kind of person in this story is the humble. To be humble, that's living from the inside out. Humility causes us to see ourselves correctly. Humility comes when we compare ourselves to Jesus, not other other people. The, The humble acknowledge their need before God. They acknowledge their helplessness. James chapter 4 verse 6 says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He, he becomes the opponent, so to speak, of those who are, don't think they need God. But to those who humble themselves, he gives grace. And grace is the power to do what you could never do on your own. It's the power to do what you could never do on, on your own. It's God's unmerited favor and forgiveness. Then we see two prayers. In verse 11, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Kind of stood like, look at me. His prayers were were self-focused. It was all about him. But we got to catch this. He was a good, quotes, he was a good man. He did good stuff. From a, from a goodness sense, he rocked it, keeping the, the rules and the laws and all of that. 
And yet it was his own goodness that blinded him. The other prayer, the tax collector, stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. It was the humble prayer. The tax collector, he was on to something that the Pharisee didn't get. He knew he couldn't atone for his sinfulness by his behavior or, or, or his goodness. He threw himself on the mercy of God. Catch that in this story. He threw himself on the mercy of God. Now, Jesus isn't trying to say, hey, go on, continue to extort money and, and sin and blah, 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 just as long as you acknowledge it, you're okay. That's not what he's saying. It's so easy to misread that, but you can't get around this, the heart of what he's trying to say here. He threw himself on the mercy of God. Two paths to rightness in this story. The first one is performance. Performance is outside in. I keep the rules, I keep the do's and don'ts, etc. Jesus said at the very beginning, to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. In his prayer, he didn't really pray to God. He laid out his goodness resume. Now, I haven't had to write a resume in an awful long time. Maybe some of you have recently. But what is a resume? A resume is a list of your accomplishments, your education. Your resume is, you're hoping, is going to get you to the top of the list so that you can be accepted and given that particular promotion or job or whatever. Now, spiritually, this dude is, is giving God his spiritual resume. God, I do this. God, I do that. Thank you that I'm so great. <laughs> and yet, performance is not how we relate to God. God doesn't want us to relate on performance. He wants us to relate to him through Jesus, through who Jesus is, what he did, his life, death, his resurrection, and begin to live out in, in who we are in Jesus. That's called justification. That's the, that's the other path to rightness, and it's important that that's the path that we're pursuing. That's inside-out living. That's an inside-out approach to walking with God. It's, it's dependent upon grace. Be more dependent upon God's grace than you are on your own behavior. And again, that always opens this case of, what are you saying, that I can live however I want? Heck no. Who wants to sin? Like, sin always leads to trouble in our life. It always leads to more difficulty. Now, following Jesus and accepting his grace leads us to the kind of life that he really wants for us. It's dependent upon Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. He is the heart and center of the gospel. His life, his death, his resurrection, and defeating all our enemies. It's, it's the good news. Jesus said about the tax collector after his simple prayer of be merciful to me, God, I'm a sinner. He said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. That word justified in, in the Greek language, ancient Greek language, 
there's a parallel to the word justified or justification and the, and the word uh, righteousness. One of the, the Greek word that was used in, in verse 9 when Jesus said, to some who were confident in their own righteousness, that's a word that is dis- describing conformity to rules and behavior and do, 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 that kind of righteousness. In verse 14, there's a little twist on the Greek word there that means to be declared righteous, where God looks at you and I because of our our faith in Jesus, and he says, I declare you righteous. I declare you holy. I declare you blameless, not guilty, because of Jesus. We're in Jesus, even though you and I still blow it. And we don't always follow the rules perfect or, or whatever. We catch ourselves not being loving or, or whatever. He has declared us righteous and holy. I want to show you a clip from the movie The Son of God that came out in like 2013. Early on, we went and saw it at the theaters um, as a church family. But there's a, a scene in The Son of God where... It, they they kind of, you know, it's not necessarily not in the New Testament, but they take the calling of Matthew, the tax collector, and they take his calling and this parable of Jesus talking to uh, the Pharisees and telling this story to them, and it's very, very, very powerful. So watch this. They're all Jews. How can they live with themselves? Our own people working for Rome. These people make me sick. Collaborators, let's move on. A stinking vermin. You should keep your distance from Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other one. tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, thieves, adulterers, or this tax collector. But the tax collector didn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God bless the tax collector. 
not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself will be humbled. And anyone who humbles himself will be praised. Matthew, come. follow him. One has to wonder of the sins committed by his other followers. What a powerful depiction of what this story is really about. Matthew, a tax collector, gets called by Jesus to be one of his 12 to walk with him, and then ultimately the privilege of penning one of the gospel stories in the gospel of Matthew. So I think it, that leads us to our last point here. There were two cho- there's two choices for us. The first choice is, will I choose to live from the outside in like the Pharisee, comparing myself to others, always trying to relate to God by my performance, my resume, or will I rest you know, outside in, I mean, inside out, the other way. The Pharisee looked down upon others because he didn't look up to God. That's an important part. And my prayer for all of us is that we would turn from from self-righteousness, which is really the heart of, of legalism. It's the heart of depending upon our own goodness to be right with God and feel good about ourselves. And let's also turn from self-help trying to do things on our own and turn to Jesus. He's, he's, the, he's, he's the real choice here, which the second choice is this. Will I choose to live from the inside out like the humble tax collector? Again, Jesus wasn't excusing the tax collector's behavior. He was giving his audience and us the reality of how to relate to God. God, I come to you. Have mercy on me and rely on his goodness. Throw yourself on the mercy of God. God will never, ever reject a repented heart. Never. You can't find a place in Scripture where where, where God rejects someone who humbled themselves before God. So no matter what you've done, I mean, we're talking about tax collectors. They were really the the scum. And, and, And Jesus brings him to, to follow him. Depending upon Jesus' goodness rather than our own is inside-out living. That's really what it is. Allowing that to grow and mature us. Sometimes in our lives when we see bad fruit, anger, lust, whatever it is that we, we're dealing with, we, we see this bad fruit and we're trying to pick it off our trees, so to speak, that, that that's what's going to make it go away. But the truth is, our roots determine the fruit. And to walk in the, the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that, that, that has to come from our roots 
being found in the goodness of Jesus, depending upon Jesus, depending upon Christ in us, the hope of glory, then our fruit in our life that he produces is good. So as I wrap this up, let's, let's look at our own lives. And, 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 and maybe as you look at your life, maybe you've grown from... Maybe you were, you were more pharisaical, and you've grown. Often, the, the more I, I walk with Jesus, the longer I walk with Jesus. It seems like the longer somebody walks with Jesus, the less Pharisee they are, the less controlling they are, the less trying to be critical of other people because they've realized how much they've been forgiven and grace, and that's something to celebrate in all of us Let's accept Jesus' challenge to relate to God inside out, not outside in. Let's ask him right now together to help us grow in this area, that in our lives about relating to God in, through grace is not about what do we get away with in sin, but it's learning to walk like Jesus walked. That's his ultimate goal is, is conformity to his life and it's the best life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to relate to you and the Father from the place of dependence upon Christ in us, the hope of glory. And God, help us to be steadfast in our faith and in our hope that we, we relate to you, we walk with you, and we relate to others from that place of grace. And God, as we receive your grace, let us give that to those around us as well. Make our homes, our marriages, our families, our workplaces, places that are just marked by your love and grace. Work in and through each of us. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling this morning that you would show them how much you love them and what you did for them through the Lord Jesus. I pray for those that are struggling with shame and guilt. Lord, help them to understand the gospel, that Jesus, you, you paid the price. You, you said it is finished. We thank you for that, Lord, that you nailed our sin to the cross. Let us live as a church family in truly loving one another, caring for one another. Thank you for this day. Keep, keep everyone safe, I pray, God, and we just praise you. And we thank you for, for the good news that we have in, in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I pray that you have a, a wonderful week shoveling some snow. <laughs> I'm sure don't get hurt doing that. Um, we'll be back together next Sunday in 50-degree weather, looking forward to some real springtime, and uh, just love each and, one, each and every one of you so deeply and so honored and privileged to be called your pastor and your friend. Have a blessed week, and uh, go in peace.